Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Today's message is part two of our series, Back to the Basics. And uh, in this series, we're being encouraged to return to the basics of our faith. Revelation 2.5, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what is Jesus saying to the church of Ephesus? He's basically saying, hey, listen, you all need to go back to the drawing board, start doing first things first, go back to the basics. There are just times throughout our, our journey with God where we need to be reminded, all right, uh, I've gotten off course here just a bit. I need to go back to square one. That's what we're talking about in this, this series. Living in a fallen world, we can get knocked off course. It's really easy going through life, going through struggles, going through trials. Listen, even when things are good, you can still get knocked off course and start drifting the wrong dis- direction. So spiritual disciplines are those practices that help us kind of get focused and centered and and going in the right direction. So what are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are habits, practices, and experiences that are designed to develop, grow, and strengthen certain qualities of our spiritual life. Spiritual disciplines help us to take off the old man and help us to put on the new man. Colossians 3.9, look at this, Colossians 3.9-10. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So if you're born again, you have two natures that are taking place. There's a conflict that's always, there's always this tension between the two, between your your flesh and the desires and the wants of your flesh and your spirit that is born again, that wants to live for God and glorify God. So there's this tension that's always taking place. And remember this, whatever nature you feed, whatever nature you nurture the most is the one that's going to be most dominant. And then the other will become submissive. It doesn't happen on its own. You, you have to take off the old man and you have to put on the, the new man. And if you don't, whatever nature you nurture the most will be most dominant. So if we are in a time in our lives where we're more fleshly than we are spiritual, it's because we fled, fed the flesh too much. And, and, that's, and that's sometimes a reality that we just don't like to face, but it's the truth. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8. And this is what... Paul writes to Timothy concerning spiritual disciplines. Verse 7, but reject profane old wives' fables and exercise yourselves towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of life that that now is and of life that which is to come. So spiritual disciplines are godly habits that lead to a godly life. And spiritual disciplines are are practices that have a, a temporal uh, blessing and a, an eternal blessing. We should take care of this temple, right? We should take care of our bodies. It's good stewardship of our bodies, but it's temporal. Th- this body, unless Jesus comes, it's going to be changed or it's going to go the way of the grave. In essence, we can take care of our bodies, and that's great, but if we're putting more effort into taking care of our bodies and, and less into our spiritual well-being, then we, we're really kind of off base. So spiritual disciplines are a way for us to kind of get our spirituality back on track. So our growth and our maturity as believers, it will not happen by itself. Because if that's the case, the older we get, the more mature we'll become spiritually. But as you know, that's not the case. It's just not the case. I've seen young people that are very spiritual and mature and older people that are not. 
and vice versa. So it has nothing to do with age. It all has to do with our commitment towards the basics of our faith. So spiritual disciplines coupled with the empowering of the Holy Spirit because it's not about us just doing works, right? Becoming more spiritual. It has to be aided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It'll lead us towards godliness, helping us to become more like Jesus. And isn't that what we want as believers? The old you has to die. Last week, I encouraged you to re-engage the spiritual discipline of scriptures, just reading, studying, memorizing, journaling, meditating on the word of God. Just think about, okay, the word as I'm reading, how does this apply to my life? Now, how can I put this into practice? You know, if we don't stop and do that, we're missing the benefit of Scripture. There's nothing wrong with reading the Word of God systematically. I think that's important. But if all we're doing is going through and checking off the boxes, well, I did my three Scriptures for today, and we're never allowing the Word of God to speak to us, we are missing, missing a huge component of God's Word. So all other spiritual disciplines will hinge on our commitment to the Word of God. It is the cornerstone of our faith, and it's the most important spiritual discipline. It's always going to come back to the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit will always agree. Look at what God said to Joshua before Joshua crossed into the Promised Land. For there's all types of spiritual implications for us, types and shadows in this verse. But Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, look, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So as your pastor, listen, I'm begging you. I'm begging you as a church to fall in love with God's Word again. Jesus is the Word made flesh. When you fall back in love with the Word of God, you fall back in love with Jesus, okay? So I'm begging you. This, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Fall in love with God's Word. I want to talk to you today about worship. I want to say this about worship in just in the beginning. Uh, mankind was created to worship God. Mankind was created to worship God. And look what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 43, 7, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. We have been created for the glory of God. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, uh, it doesn't matter where you were born, when you were born, every person on planet earth has been made and created for the glory of God. God's got a plan and a purpose for their life. Unfortunately, we have one major ob obstacle that prevents us from living out our purpose, our flesh. It, it's not Satan, it's not the world, it's no one else, it's the flesh, it's ourselves. Our biggest obstacle to, to glorifying God is us. So our sin nature, if allowed, by default, always by default, it will always go back to this place. It will try to go back and enthrone itself on the heart. See, the heart belongs to Jesus, amen? It is where he is enthroned. But if the if sin nature, if allowed, it will always try to go back to the heart and regain its place of dominance. I've, I've read this quote before by Louis Giglio. Anytime I talk about worship, it's a great little definition. It helps us to really understand the heart in nature, the essence of worship, and the obstacles that we face. So this is a quote from his book, The Air I Breathe. You, my friend, are a worshiper. There it is, I said it. Every day, all day long, everywhere you go, you worship. It's what you do. It's who you are. I don't know whether you know it or not, or know it, whether or not you consider yourself a worshiping kind of person, but you cannot help but worship something. It's what you were made to do. Worship is our response to what we value 
most. Worship comes down to worthiness. So worship is our response to what we value most. Worship is about saying this person, this thing, this experience is what matters most to me. It's the thing I put first in my life. That thing might be a relationship, a dream, friends, status, stuff, a name, some kind of pleasure. Whatever name you put on it, this thing or person is what you've concluded in your heart is worth most to you. And whatever is worth most to you is what you worship. Some of us attend the church on the corner professing to worship the living God above all. Others who rarely step inside the church doors would say worship isn't a part of their lives because they aren't religious. But everybody has an altar, and every altar has a throne. So how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affections, your energy, your money, and your loyalty, and at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. Sure, not too many of us walk around saying, I worship my stuff, I worship my Xbox, I worship my job, I worship this pleasure, I worship her, I worship my body, I worship me. But the trail never lies. We may say we value this thing or that thing more than the other, but the volume of our actions speaks louder than our words. In the end, our worship is more about what we do than what we say. You know, if we'd ever let that quote sink in, and if we'd ever live our lives accordingly, it would radically change our lives forever. The simplicity of that, that statement is so true. See, spiritual disciplines help us take off whatever is on that throne and puts Jesus back on it. We sing songs about the heart of worship. The heart of worship is exactly what was what just communicated there. It's about Jesus on the throne of your heart. That's the heart of worship. The heart of worship is not a song. It's not an atmosphere. It's, not a, it's, it's Jesus enthroned back again on your heart. Everyone has a throne that sits upon our heart. Every one of us. Failing to acknowledge this or refusing to deal with what's on that throne is failure. Failure of the worst kind. So the use of our time, money, efforts, actions, loyalties, it illuminates the path. It makes it clear. It's undeniable. It's a pathway to the throne of our hearts. You know, we'll never be a true worshiper of God until we're a true follower of Jesus. To be a true worshiper of God, you have to be a true follower of Jesus. It's, there's no other way. I mean, Jesus didn't save us so we can keep on doing what we want to do and go to heaven. He saved us and we are his followers. Hear these conversations. Maybe you didn't look at them in this light, but now I just kind of want to with that kind of overview, just look at these verses. Look at these conversations that, that Jesus had with these people who wanted to follow him. All right, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to be homeless? He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another, I will follow you, Lord. Let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, these aren't cold and heartless things, and we don't have enough time to unpack all that. 
But what is he saying is this. The essence of what he's saying to these people is this. i got to be number one. I have to be number one. And it seems odd to us that God would want this. It's not out of God, God is attention, needs our attention. It's this, he wants to save us. And he loves us so much that he understands this. Listen, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. He's trying to spare us from death. A destruction of our own type. Church, with Jesus, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. And at some point in your spiritual journey, it doesn't matter who you, if you got saved at a young age or if you've come to a place later, later in life, there's always these phases in your spiritual growth. And some of you have been saved for a long time, know what I'm talking about. There are these phases that takes place, that you come to this place that, you know what, what I was doing back here is not working today. I'm not growing, I'm not moving. I can't blame anyone else because I've blamed everyone else. I've left every church, I went to different churches. It just comes back to this place. The problem's not them, the problem's me. And for every transitional phase in your life spiritually, it always comes back to that. You know what? This is no longer about me. It's about him. And until we move past those places, you'll never grow beyond where you're at. You recall the encounter Jesus had with the, the rich young ruler? One, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. And this, this man wants to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's how Jesus replies. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal you should not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. This is how the man answers. I've kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give, them, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And it wasn't even that the money, it was his love for money. It was his greed. See, Jesus did this. This man comes to Jesus, and, he's, and he offers him an invitation. You can follow me. You can, serve, you can be one of my followers, but there's this one thing. See, he looked into the heart. He saw exactly what was on the throne. He saw right into that man's heart. He knew exactly what was on the throne. It was his love for money. It was greed. And he knew this, that that man will never serve me, follow the way he needs to, unless he takes off what's on that throne. And the only way to do it is this, to take it and just give it away. Jesus was inviting this man. Follow, what an incredible invitation. Come follow me. But there's this one thing. I need this. I need this area of your life. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. You know, even the great Apostle Paul confesses that he has to die daily. Daily to the power of the flesh. Daily to the power of the sin nature. Why? Because the sin nature always wants to squirm and weasel its way back to the top. You ever, you ever experienced that? Man, you're doing really good, but you can feel un the undercurrent of your flesh. It's, you can just see it bubbling under the surface, but you have to put to death daily. Our flesh, if not crucified daily, will squirm and weasel its way back to the throne. So spiritual disciplines are a way of, ra of living rather than just spiritual fads and phases. So what does all that have to do with worship? Because you may say, well, I, I thought this was going to be about lifting our hands and singing which song's right, which songs are wrong. No, because that's really not the essence of worship. I, I know that we in the Assemblies of God, we, we, are, we are known for our, our, our songs and, and, our, and our atmospheres. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
but that constitutes such a small, small portion of what worship really is. Most Christians refer to this time as worship. And again, it's a very small percentage of what worship is because what we do here on Sunday morning is an expression of worship. It's not worship. And if, if, listen, if you thought that was it, then you were wrong because worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle, a life committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them. So we are the workmanship of Christ. God created us with a plan and a purpose, a calling for us to fulfill. And if we think that calling is to come to church and to sing songs, songs that we like, we enjoy, that we want, that makes us feel good, boy, we really, really missed it then. See, Jesus didn't save us again so that we could do what we want to do and still go to heaven. No, he calls us to die. And when we die and we live for him, that's when worship takes place. All creation worships God. You know why it worships God? Because it does exactly what it was created to do. Look at this verse in Nehemiah 9.6. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made the heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. Here's why. Because God puts it into to motion and it does exactly what it's supposed to do and that's worship. That's why the, the, all creation worships God because it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. You know, we're the ones that tend to do what we want to do. So when the creation does what the creator has created it to do, it's the highest form of worship. True worship has everything to do with the, the person that God called us to be. So when we stop living, please hear me when I say this, because sometimes we live for others and we, we think we're doing it as a service to God, and we actually do it as a disservice. But we have to come to this place where we stop living life for ourselves, living for others, and we have to simply start living for Jesus. It's always going to come back to square one with him. He's got to be first. He won't be second. When we can honestly declare in our hearts, really, in, in whatever situation, whatever growth phase you're in, there, there are these chapters, and we, we have to come to these chapters, these places, when we can honestly say, Jesus it's not my will that needs to be done. It's your will that needs to be done in me and through me. And when we can get to those phases in our life, that's when true worship takes place. You remember the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? She was confused about the essence of worship, kind of like the church gets sometimes. John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, Right? For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Listen, the woman was concerned about where to worship. Just like we get concerned about where to worship, how to worship. Is it this song? Is it this tempo? Is it in this key? Is it to my liking? Is the air conditioning on? It's not about those things. That is the essence of selfishness. The place of true worship is the heart. It's always going to come down to the heart. We can hide it with all the exterior stuff. We can hide it with clapping. We can, you can hide it with happiness. You can hide it with meanness, but God sees the heart. He sees the heart. So what we do here on Sunday morning, it is important. It is important. It's an expression of worship. We should never stop doing it because it is important. God loves it when there's unity and there's a church. They're, they're, they're worshiping. They're not, they're not worried about anything else. There's, you know, I've just come to worship God. We worship God together. And it's so important. It is. I don't want to devalue that whatsoever. But again, it's just a small portion of what worship truly is. 
More importantly, worship has everything to do with when we leave this place. How we live our lives. Imagine this, we come to church on Sunday morning, we worship, we proclaim Jesus, he's number one, he's, he's Lord over our lives, but when we go here, we leave this place, we go home, we live our lives in opposition to the word of him. How is that worship? What did Jesus say about this? John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. Keep my commandments. See, we may declare in this room that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of lords. He's King of kings. We can, we can sing it, and, and, but Jesus could ask us this. If that's the case, then why aren't I reigning in your heart Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when you go to dinner after church? Listen to what Jesus says to the church of Laodicea. Look at this. Revelation 3.19. To whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door, and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person, and they with me. What's, what's he, listen, Jesus wasn't standing at the front of the, the door of the church knocking. No, he's knocking on the hearts of the believers. And he was speaking to them. He's, he's persistent. You know, there's a knocking. And if you ever feel that knocking, listen, he, he's, it's not that he's coming to rebuke you. He's knocking because he wants you to change. He wants you to give him that place. Open the door, let him in. Let him into that place of your heart that is his rightful place, the place that he desires most. It's not up here. It's not even in the things we, we necessarily do. It's here because if it's here, everything else is taken care of. See, we can fake everything else. We can, we can proclaim doctrines, deeds, confessions. We can quote scripture. We can do good works and good deeds and the heart go untouched. How is that worship to God? It's not. You know, for many of us in here, the Lord's been knocking for a while. Persistent because he loves us. Just persistent. He wants in. Open your heart. Let me in. And the persistence is just proof of his love. Worship is more about what we do outside of these walls. Let's say we come to church, we worship God, we lift our hands, we sing with joy, we bow down, we sing a new song, whatever it is, whatever expression, we dance before the Lord. Now just consider this, Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your one way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Now tell me, which is more important to God? Your sacrifice of praise or being reconciled to your brother. Which one is true worship then? God does not accept our expressions of worship if we refuse to live our lives in worship to him. It's hypocrisy. What do we think that Jesus wants most? Our singing, our dancing, our shouting, our singing that song just right? Or is it just living our lives right? Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13.1. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I become a, a sounding brass or a clinging, clanging cymbal. What, what's he saying to us? Listen, we can, we can sing we, with great beauty. We can have musical precision, all this. But if we don't love, if our attitudes aren't right with each other, it's just noise to God. If you are living your life in opposition to God, all right, if you have things against your brother, if you, if you come with something even on your heart, the throne, something in the throne, it's just noise to God. In the Old Testament, what hindered Israel the most in the relationship with God? When you look back at the history of Israel and you look back at it, what was the thing that stopped them from pursuing their relationship with God? What was the, the one thing that would always be an obstacle? It was idolatry. Throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, idolatry. 
Typically, we think of idolatry as those little statues, right? People bowing down, worshiping to him, and false gods or religious practices aimed at, at pleasing another god or trying to get the favor of another god. Idolatry is alive and well in every church. I don't care how spiritual it is. Because people are in those churches. Often we fail to see the idol that we most exalt is ourselves. Spiritual disciplines of true worship says this, you know what, I need to take me off the throne. I need to put Jesus back on. I need to take me, myself, I out of the way, put Jesus back on the throne of my heart, let him rule, let him reign. See, that's, that's what the discipline of worship is. It's really, it's not singing, it's not shouting, it's not clapping our hands, it's not having a hoot nanny in here, right? It's really enthroning Jesus on our hearts and letting him be in Lord. That's true worship. That's, that's what he saved us to do. You know, the, the, the worship then from that position, if he is enthroned in our hearts, it is wonderful in the ears of God. He loves it. But listen, we, first things first. I want to go back to the quote I, I used earlier. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Don't worry about it. So I, I just want to concentrate on one little paragraph, four, four sentences. This is what he says, but the trail never lies. We may say we value this thing or that thing more than any other, but the volume of our actions speak louder than our words. In the end, our worship is about, more about what we do than what we say. If we proclaim to be a true follower of Jesus, let's identify who or what sits on the throne of our hearts. Again, if we just say, listen, and maybe he does, I don't know, I can't, I can't tell that for you. Because let's, let's be honest with you, church folks, we're pretty good at hiding what's really on the throne. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves and just say, all right, I know what's on the throne. I know what gets my time, my affections, my, my money, my efforts, my, my attention. I know what it is. See, that's, that's the first place, that's the first, the first step in the journey, right? Is identifying what's actually on the throne. Or how about this? You said, well, it's not on the throne today, but tomorrow it might be. Well, then that's what we need to talk about, right? That's what you need to identify. It's not, it's not even maybe a matter of what's on there right now. It's what constantly, consistently wants to get back onto the throne. If Jesus is, is if that's what Jesus wants, and he wants to be on the throne of our hearts, then listen, the flesh is going to oppose it. It's the default of the flesh. And remember, the trail never lies. It always tells the story. So I pray the Holy Spirit's challenging you during this message. I pray the Holy Spirit's knocking at your door. Because I know he, when I was just preparing this message, I was like, oh, I don't want to preach this. I mean, this is hard for me to preach. Let alone you have to listen to it. I'm just being completely honest. I don't like to preach messages like that. But I know this, that we always have to be challenged. I pray the Holy Spirit is revealing to you what sits on the throne of your heart. Is it a person? Is it a thing? Is it a desire? Is it a practice? Is it a habit? Pray the Holy Spirit give you the courage to commit yourself because that's what it's going to take, courage. And the Holy Spirit's going to have to help you. He's going to have to empower you to dethrone whatever is on the throne of your heart or what continually keeps coming to the throne, trying to weasel and work its way to the throne. That's why these spiritual disciplines are so important because they help us to prevent that from taking place. And when it does, it helps us to take them off. Again, can I, can I just tell you this? If you have a struggle in this area, you will not be successful without the Word of God. You just won't. Take six months. Try to do it all on your own. Just try self-help, motivation. It's not going to work. Well, pray for me. No. You're going to have to get down in the trenches. You've got to open your Bible. 
and say, God, speak to me. Because the Word is alive. It's living. It's revelation. That cannot be imparted. That cannot be spoken even. I mean, listen, I'm, there's nothing wrong with prophetic word. I agree with that. But God's going to agree with what's already written. You remember the story in the Old Testament where the Philistines captured the ark? Because the ark represents the presence of God in the Old Testament. The ark represents the presence of God. And we understand it's a piece of furniture, but there was something still special about that piece of furniture, right? It was symbolic. I, we know that it wasn't the presence of God. But it was, a, it was something that was an example of the presence of God. So how they handled the ark was also how you should handle the presence of God. There are so many types and shadows and spiritual implications that we can look at a study of the tabernacle that is so powerful. But anyways, they go to battle, and you know, the Israelites, they, they go into battle. Their hearts aren't right. They're doing things the wrong way. There's a major story behind it. But they go in thinking, we're going to take the ark with us, even though God didn't say, take the ark with you. But we're going to take the presence of God. It's going to go before, and they lose, and they, the enemy, the Philistines, capture the ark. They capture, can you imagine that? Think about what this is. They captured the presence of God. The, the enemy has stolen the presence of God. They take the ark back to, their, back to Philistia, and they, they put the ark in the, uh, the temple of Dagon, which is the fish god, and they put the, the ark in with their idols, in their temple. They wake up the next morning, the priests go in, and the, temp, the, the idol is falling before the ark, face down, right? They don't put two and two together. So you know what they do? They prop that idol right back up. They go on about their business. Next day, it's fallen, but this time it's shattered, right? Broken to pieces. I think they start, when they started getting boils and tumors, then they started getting the idea that maybe we shouldn't have this presence of God thing in our temple because it's not working out. And what is God saying through that? God is saying this, I will not share my space with anyone, anything, anything else than, than what belongs to me. Because if we're born again, <clears throat> we do not belong to ourselves. We've been bought with the price. We've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in that place. That is his temple. And when we, have, we put something else on that temple, God says, no way. I cannot stand that. I cannot have that. God, where are, you, where are you at? Why do you feel so far away? Open up. What's in there? What's in that place? What's occupying that space? God, I wish my preacher preached this. I wish we sang songs a certain way. Why don't you just open up your heart and examine yourself? What's really in there? You know, when you looked at the Old Testament story, even in the tabernacle, in the temple, when you go to the Holy of Holies, there's one thing in there. There's nothing else shared in there, right? The ark. It occupies the holiest space. It, the presence of God. There's nothing else in there. There's no light. That space for, was God for God alone. It's showing us a picture. God says this, that's my space. Your heart is my space. It's not money. It's not, it's not people. It's not our children. It's not our spouses. And I know that's hard to say, but it's the truth, and it has to be that way. Because if you go back, hey, let me go back. Jesus, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. No, follow me. Jesus understands the human heart. You know what? You'll go back, you'll never come back. That's exactly what he's saying. You'll, you'll second guess. You'll formulate in your mind why you can't follow me. So I'm just trying to help you avoid the obvious. It's me, it's all or it's nothing. If you truly want to worship me, if you want to be a true worshiper, come follow me. So 
I want to encourage you to spend some time around the altar here in just a moment and give Jesus his rightful place. Give it to him. Just remember this, that there's nothing wrong with coming to church. There's nothing wrong with singing. There's nothing wrong with, with, with praise and worship that is to a certain degree or temperature and there's certain ambience in the atmosphere. None of that's wrong. I mean, we can look at the Old Testament and we can see that environments were important to God, for sure. But the most important environment that we have is right here. It's right here. See, this stuff is all superficial. It's all superficial. You always have to point people back to the Word of God, back to Jesus. You know what? There are sometimes in some churches, you can go in there and man, it's just an easy atmosphere to worship in. But at the same time, if you really boil it down, there's such a degree of selfishness in there. Because, man, I went to worship that, man, I feel great, and I feel encouraged, and, and, and the whole story is about me, 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 not the glory of God. And we equate us feeling good with the glory of God, and they are totally different. You know, you can come to church, have a euphoric feeling, you can have an experience, and never touch the garment of God. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.